So you wanna watch a movie, but you don't know which. Choosing the one can be a bitch. But Jared and Drew have perfected the art. So sit back, relax, and trust the dark. It's dark. What's going on, everyone? I'm Drew. And I'm Jared. And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the podcast where we put 20 movies on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. This week, we're covering the sophomore feature from French filmmaker Julia Ducourneau and easily one of the most bizarre films we have covered on the show. This week, we're talking Titan, starring Agathe Roussel and Vincent Lindon. Jared, have you ever considered a car a potential sexual partner? Honestly, I have not. It has never even really? occurred to me. Ne- I know, I know. I, it's strange to say, but I haven't. Have you? Have you ever thought about fucking a car before? You know, it's it. I'm not autosexual, so it's not it's not in my uh, bag. But hey, more power to you. We're not we're not here to kink shame, Jared. No, of course not. Of course not. Although sometimes there are ramifications to actions. This movie explores. It certainly does. It certainly does. But we'll get to to Titan here in a little bit. Uh, we'll do a quick board review just to orient ourselves with where we're sitting right now. At number one, we've got You Can Count On Me. Number two, Akiru. Number three, Reflections of Evil. Number four, Rio Bravo. Number five, Alien 3. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, Election. Number nine, Get Carter. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Coraline. Number 12, Big Night. Number 13, Night Moves. Number 14, The Karate Kid. Number 15, Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Secrets and Lies. Number 17, Today's Episode, Titan. Number 18, Snatch. Number 19, Strange Days. And number 20, The Terminator. Oh, man, haven't heard that list in a while. It's good to be back in the saddle, dude. We should uh, offer a little uh, apology to our listeners. Uh, we've had a few weeks off, had some some personal stuff get in the way, had some uh, scheduling issues with jobs, but uh, we're trying to get back on a, on a good track yeah. here. And uh, yeah, we're excited yeah. to be back at it. We have not bailed on this podcast. We are still very invested, just like Drew said. There's just been a couple of hiccups, but we will get back in the swing of things for sure. Most beginning tonight. Definitely. Beginning tonight. Beginning tonight. But with that being said, before we dive into the episode itself, how about you give us a quick streaming check on today's movie, Titan, Jared? Love it, dude. 2021's Titan, currently available on Hulu and Canopy. Canopy's been a bit of an all-star so far, this this second batch. Canopy has a remarkable selection of movies. And anyone who is sitting there wondering what the fuck Canopy is, just go get a library card online. You can get a digital library card, at least here in Colorado. I don't know about other states, but um, in Colorado, I was able to sign up through a website, sign up for a library card. You plug that info into Canopy, and boom, you have access to thousands of incredible films um so i mean yeah within the last few weeks i've watched a lot of stuff on canopy i mean operation condor and this episode back-to-back ones have been canopy watches for me dude that's so cool think of how different those movies are from totally different decades different languages just couldn't be further apart and they're all under one canopy under one under one roof yeah well so, I, um, that works for the name i suppose <laughs> there um, but i will also say you know as someone who really appreciates a good presentation and and high quality of of uh visual you know the actual image on screen canopy does an incredible job like they're they're uh, you know whatever they're using for for their encoding algorithm or whatever it is 
everything looks fucking great. And in this movie particularly, I was able to really appreciate all the fine details. And, and I've, I've been just really impressed with that service. So everyone should go check out Canopy and support it because it's, it's helping to support your local library. Well, you have been banging the drum for a while, and I still haven't got it just because I have all the other ones through a combination. But it's free. Of like, I know. It's so silly. But I do have a, qu- a canopy follow-up. How's the interface? You mentioned the streaming quality is good. Is it a little clunky or is it is it decent? It's the one downside. Yeah, the the interface is not ideal. Uh, specifically, like the the menu is not bad. It's more once you are in the movie. Um, you know, I think a lot of streaming services now, or I think all of them actually have you know been able to implement this time skip you know button where it's like 15 seconds forward 15 seconds back um and canopy is a lot more clunky with with the fast forwarding and rewinding and stuff so um one one caveat there but you know that being said for a free service where you can watch i I think for free you can watch up to like six movies a month and they keep accruing so if you don't watch enough the one month they roll over Oh, um, you can't complain for free with a library card. And, and we have some really kind of off the beaten path and strange titles like Titan. And I would even say Operation Condor, too, is, is a bit of a deep cut. That's a harder one like, to find for sure. Yeah, it's just really cool that they have these things available for Days know, of for, Heaven is the on there. If you want to go back to one of our original 50 movies that we yep. are, are obsessed with and both of us, I think, Great nominated movie. it for Best Picture last uh, last round of 50. So, um yeah, it's. I mean, there's there's so many to choose from. I think actually, Heaven's Gate is on there as well. So yeah, people should go watch. Yeah, check out Canopy. But that and, and if you can't get Canopy or if you don't feel like it, and you don't have Hulu, pay to rent. It should be a very easy movie to to track down to time. And also, I will just say, I was a little nervous about the pronunciation of this when I went to rent it from Videodrome. I was like, couldn't find it because this director doesn't have a section yet in the French area. So it's like, have you seen that? Do you know the movie Titan? It's like, yeah. He goes and grab it. It's like, how do you how do you pronounce it? And he's like, Titan. And I was like, oh God, have we been saying it pretentiously over French this whole time? But Videodrome guy was incorrect, and that's okay. I will never stop loving them. Uh, it is Titan, is how it's pronounced. But if you were to Google this movie, if you want to check it out, I mean, obviously it'll be written in the description and the title of this movie. But it's spelled like Titan for an American like us. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I think for an American pronunciation is a little bit forgivable in the sense that, uh, Titan is, I think, referencing titanium itself. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that that's, yeah, it's meant to, to be, you know, in that family, it's just the French for pronunciation. Sure. So for anyway, sure. getting to the movie itself, this is a Jared edition and mm-hmm. I want to, I want to make another apology here that we are not able to have your friend Kendrick on the pod with us because I know you had mentioned wanting to have him on. He, yeah. he was apparently an inspiration for getting this on. Why don't you tell us how this came across your lap? Well, Kendrick is a is a friend of mine who we have just started talking about movies. You know, we bump into each other, I'd say, once or twice a month, sort of that sort of friendship. It's a, it's a relatively new friendship. Mm-hmm. And very quickly, we fall into discussing movies, and we have a lot in common. And he's got great tastes. He will be on a future episode. Kendrick, just for the record, works uh, alongside the NBA and got hosed by the Celtics series running as long as it has. So he is very much in the weeds today. We're recording this on the day of game seven between the Celtics and Miami Heat. Who are you rooting uh, for? Oh, Celtics all the way. Even though they did, by coming back in this series, 
they did disrupt Kendrick's ability to be here today. But he will be joining us for a future episode, and whenever that happens, we'll be sure to get his thoughts on, like, a little synopsis of his thoughts on Titanium. Titan. <clears throat> we were just, you know, shooting the shit, I think talking about the podcast and the movies I had been watching in the podcast recently. And he mentioned this movie, Titan. He was like, you have got to see this movie. He's like, I don't want to say anything too, I don't want to say too much about it. It's really, really bizarre. It's really different. But I think you got to check this out. And it was one, it's my favorite way to find movies, I would say. A close second is a director I love gives a shout out. Like we had that experience re- fairly recently with The Last of Sheila. Um, but there's nothing quite like a trusted friend being like, hey, you, you know, you got to check this out. So I did the old classic Jared Given screenshot on the phone. And when it came around, I was like, Let's get this up there. I don't know anything about it. Kendrick digs it. We haven't done a French movie yet. I don't know shit about French cinema. I don't. I don't know if I've ever seen. I've seen a couple of I guess French movies here and there, but really not much. And I know they have. They have as, as a culture, they've had a massive impact on cinema history over the decades. So it's definitely um, a bit of an embarrassing feature of my filmographies and things I've seen. So um, all those reasons kind of swirl together. And it's like, let's get it on the board. And then we hit it. And I really, I knew it was going to be weird. And that's about all I knew. Um, and I'm curious to hear what, what we both think about this movie. We have really kept it tight. We have not discussed this much outside of this recording. Well, given that it was your choice, I want to lead off with your thoughts first. What did you think of Titan? So I saw it twice. Okay. First time I saw it, I was with a couple of people, and I was drinking vodka cranberries like they were going out of style. And I really kind of tipped over in the second half of the film, and I started hating the movie for the back half of the, the second half. The first 20, 30 minutes of the movie, I was dialed in, and I was like, this is fucking crazy and great, and it's so well shot. So unexpected, so strange, so perverse, so weird. It was it was shocking for the first like 30, 40 minutes how into it I was. But then as the story morphed into the whole kind of pretending to be the sun thing, I got a little annoyed with the movie because, and again, I was starting to get a little more tipsy. I thought it was just jump switching gears so much away from this primary story that I was super interested in this mechanical pregnancy thing that was going on. And I just started arguing with the movie in my soul. I was like, fuck this. They're they're taking this big detour into this crazy side story. And I was like kind of overly shitting on the second half today before recording. I watched it for the second time. I was like, okay, I really, I, I know that I was a little, I had overindulged before getting into the second half. So I got to see it clean and and reevaluate. I like the second half much more than I did the first time I saw it. But still, I do feel like there is a little bit of bloat there. And there is a little bit of kind of up its own assery that takes place in that second half of the film. But I came out the other side of the experience liking it much more than I did the first time. Mm. And so now I have the, the first half that I felt really was awesome and almost perfect and i do still feel that the second half is a little a little bloated and a little overly indulgent but it is still impressive to me and so overall i would say there's a lot of components of this movie that i was shocked at how the the quality of the execution how good a lot of this stuff is but um 
I don't think it's going to be landing on like my top five of the year or anything like that, maybe in certain categories, but certainly not overall movies. So I would say final kind of like one sentence is like really solid, really unexpected, very different, but not ex- not perfect. It was was my feeling about it. How did you feel about this movie, either on first and or second watch? Well, first, in reaction to what you just said, I think it is really interesting that you uh, mentioned the word bloat, and this movie is only an hour forty-five. Like, it is not a movie that that is long. But I can, but I can see, you know, once the movie settles into that slower pace in the in the second half of the movie, it definitely starts to drag out and and thing and and you're and it's not as much that it's um it's not boring but there's there's a part of your brain that starts to go okay get to what you want me to think about this or or get to like like the the you know the scene that's going to flip this on his head or whatever like like there there are moments where it feels like it's kind of um the story's not progressing. You're just kind of sitting there in this one part of the story. And and I and that's not a critique. But anyway, to get to my thoughts, I want to contextualize a little bit. So we've taken a couple of weeks off of recording and I've I've been going to a lot more like shows and going on dates and blah blah blah. Just, you know, filling my time and and so I haven't um I haven't been sitting down to watch things quite as much as I normally do. And when you texted me earlier this week, I had mentioned that I hadn't watched the movie and we were talking about a day to record and and uh, we threw out like a potential idea of recording like later that night. And I hadn't watched the movie at that point. So I was like, I'm going to be cramming this. I'll, I'll, I would have to watch the movie as soon as I get off work and then immediately start recording. And you responded, I think this is one you're going to want to sit with. Mm-hmm. And... I respect your advice, but I didn't take it because Ooh, okay. with a movie that I knew was going to be weird and I knew was going to be complicated or complex in some way, I kind of wanted to do a new approach and just come in as fucking fresh as possible off of it. So I literally finished the first watch of this movie two hours ago. Dude, I... Love this because a little <laughs> more inside baseball. You responded to me in my in that text you met, you mentioned about how I kind of wanted to do an instant take, and I'm so glad that you stuck to that because I've seen it twice. I've sat with it a little bit. I've chewed on it for a week or two, and you're coming in fresh, dude. That's great. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of why I wanted to do it because I was like, well, maybe this will give me a slightly different perspective on it. Now you you said in your first watch you kind of tailed off with it towards the end and you were like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not feeling this quite as much. I will say that my reaction, if you ask me my reaction at an hour, 20 minutes of the hour 40 runtime, I might agree with that. However, I do think that the way that the movie circles back around in the last 20, 25 minutes or so and really starts hammering home its themes and what it's trying to say and what you know the the absolutely bonkers way that it has gone to get to this this moment you know or the the, these uh, ideas when i think about that it's i I think the movie's really fucking great 
I am 100% there with you. The first 45 minutes or so of this movie are electrifying. It is unreal. Like the the way that she's using the camera, the various like twists and turns that the like everything is going with. It's just like you have no idea where this movie is going, but you're happy to be on the ride, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I would say everything up until when she you know, murders her parents by setting the house on fire, which I think was initially in, in, you know, an incidental thing, but then she just rolls with it. Well, she locks that was, I, I still have some confusion there just, well, she's like burning the clothes, like after she murders these people, but I couldn't tell, was it like a separate garage? Like was the building separate from the house or was it all part of the same sort of compound? Um, Geographically? I I don't know. I, I I just assumed it was just a part of the, the, you know, the house itself, but the, the way that the fire starts to, you know, really explode and, and go way beyond the trash can that she's burning the things in. To me, that strikes me as like that her intention wasn't to murder her parents. But then when she saw an opportunity, she was like, well, okay, I guess I'll take yeah. this. Cause she you has know? that keyhole moment. Exactly. Takes the key and locks the Which door. I thought was really haunting. Just that, that yeah. image of the dad waking up and seeing her, and kind of resigning to his fate in that moment is really yeah. fascinating to me. Yeah, and it's and we don't exactly know what happened there. It's heavily implied that they were burned alive, but you gotta you can't help but wonder like, well, is there a window in that house? So like, you know, what 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 really happened? But we don't really get a, a clean, clean, clear answer to that, in my opinion. No, but that that scene is doing the work to set up the the themes of the film in terms right. of like parent child relationships and and you know mm-hmm. um yeah I, I mean like you can you can kind of read her journey in this movie you know as going from you know adolescence into adulthood kind of kind of thing um and that's her as like a rebellious teenager like saying fuck my parents kind of thing like yeah. like there's like um there's a lot of that kind of that, that sort of stuff going on in this, but uh, but I found that just that image really haunting of like someone like he's not like freaking out like rushing to try and like stop her from yeah you're him right in. he just kind of is like fuck hmm. yeah. okay it's this that's, is it this is a bummer dude it's uh that's a bummer it's yeah like that sort of reaction practically yeah in a more serious way obviously but it's it is you're right it's very resigned it's very yeah. like oof. Yeah, but anyway, everything up until that moment of the film, I think, is one of the best films I've ever seen. I feel like mm-hmm. it, it's like truly just awe-inspiring stuff. Um, yeah. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil your take ahead of time, but I mean, you put on our outline like uh, one one take shots, you know, oneers, and there's one at the very beginning of this movie that is just, uh, it's just fucking phenomenal, I, and I, I, and. I gotta believe that there are hidden cuts in there somewhere, because the mo- the the camera moves that are that are happening and the the shifts in perspective and and uh, focus are such that I'm like I don't think that it's physically possible for them to have pulled this off in a single shot. But that being said, it is seamless. I I cannot figure out where the cuts are if there are cuts, and if it is just a pure oneer. I want to know even more. How the fuck did you do that? Yeah, it's it's insane. I mean, we're talking about so there's the accident in the beginning, right? And then it's the the kind of steady cam shot that goes through that first car show, where she and we follow her up into her leading her dancing on the car. 
And it is, to me, it has entered that echelon of like impressive oneers. Like a lot of people talk about the Boogie Nights opening shot of that movie. A lot of people talk about Goodfellas. Feels like you know, it feels like Copa. it's very much uh, paying homage to the Boogie Nights shot. By the way, yeah, totally. The way that it's the way that it's like it's it's not the same thing where like the one in Boogie Nights is like. It, it's establishing all the core characters of the story and floating through this room and kind of just giving you a little glimpse of all of them. It's not doing that, but in terms of the way that it's it's building and building and showing you more and more and like like uh, following this character going through the crowd and then it kind of culminates in this this just incredible display of physical prowess like uh, of this person just like dancing. Boogie Nights doesn't do that exactly, but it does like culminate in you know the the central character kind of taking taking center stage you know yeah and, and with with Dirk holding the the, the the bucket of dishes or right whatever. right but um yeah and I agree with you I think there are some hidden cuts in there but who cares you know what I mean it's they're so seamless I don't even so I don't even know if they're I'm not even saying I think yeah, that there, there might are. not be I'm I'm literally saying I can't tell <laughs> well and that was such a um it was so striking, and I was sitting there watching it the first time, and I was just like, and you alluded to it in your statement about this. I said out loud, oh my God, the focus pulling. That, to me, was the most impressive thing about it. I don't know who was pulling focus on that shot, because we've seen a lot of these fancy dancy wonders. We talked about a couple of them Why already. don't you describe I've, what focus pulling is, in case people yeah. don't understand what that is? So normally, it's a, it's a responsibility of the assistant camera, the AC, and they will be by a monitor, generally in Video Village, watching a live feed on what the camera's capturing. And they'll have like a jog with something that kind of looks like a jog wheel in their hand. And it's a remote way of controlling focus on the camera. And so they're, they're, their sole job in that moment is to keep what is intended to be in focus in focus. Which and is this, a fucking hard job to very do hard job. when a camera is moving like that because you're having to constantly adjust to wherever the camera is positioned and wherever the actor is. So if that distance between the actor and the camera keeps changing, you have to keep dialing that focus to, to maintain that person where they totally. are. Totally. And, and even nowadays they have, I'm assuming this film was shot digitally. Uh, but uh, so you do have some tricks and there's some things you can do where you can have like things that assist you in being able to pull focus well. There's like digital tools available. But even even so, it's difficult to pull focus well between two characters that are talking at a coffee table. Like that's that's tricky. And this shot is is choosing so many different subjects at different distances to focus on at different points in the shot that it's it's batshit crazy to me. It's it's literally I think a little bit prisoner of the moment here, but I think it's some of the best focus pulling I've ever seen in my life because I was just like I I didn't notice that in Boogie Nights. When they do that shot, they kind of keep things it seems to me anyway at the right distance. This was something that was like constantly tunneling into the image, retreating back, going to something at middle length. It was it was shocking to me. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And then, you know, you add in the fact that uh, from a cinematography standpoint, just the lighting of this movie, the neon, like, you so know, beautiful. And, and like, there are multiple points in the movie where like, there's a neon tinge to everything. And there's no like contextual reason 
in terms of the setting of of that particular scene for there to be any neon in it. It's just the vibe of the movie and you're you don't ever question it. You're just like this is I'm just in it and this is fucking cool. A neon fever dream. So it was so crazy. And I don't want to get into like lazy comparisons too early, but I, on second viewing today, I was getting a lot of drive vibes from this movie in terms of the it. look of the film, like the color palette. And even when we're introduced to this main character as an adult, she's walking through the crowd and she's got like a, like a lion on the back of her jacket, which kind of reminded me of the scorpion and drive. I don't know. So there was a little, well, I think there's a connection like, there too. And just the way that it, it has these sudden bursts of, of violence, extreme, like extreme violence, violence. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was wondering, I almost looked online. I couldn't find anything. It's like, I wonder if she was intentionally doing, I mean, they're very different movies, but visually I was getting a lot of commonality between them. And yeah, that shot too was just talk about setting the stage for a visual feast where I was just like, this is just, Amazing. So we go through this whole great shot. We have this incredibly like um, sexual dance that she's pretty much stripping on this car. And I love that it cuts away from that to these two women in the shower next to each other. Mm -hmm. And we go to this like hypersexualized, we go from this hypersexualized, objectifying sort of uh, dancing to like extremely banal day-to-day basic human nudity it was a really interesting clash that i think was just kind of rolling along and i'm just sitting this i'm seeing this watching this for the first time and just being like this is gonna be a fucking special movie and it and it, and it was i do think it wasn't by the at the end of the day but talk about just an unbelievable f- opening like 10 to 15 minutes of this thing where mm. it's just like holy shit including the very beginning when she's a kid in the car and she's like humming the motor thing like that. I don't know if you remember that opening shot is like that kind of Americana banjo music country music is playing and it's like extreme close-ups of the components on in the in the engine mm-hmm. like the, even that was just really fucking cool like le- leading up to the car accident and it was just like this movie it just came out like a fucking freight train it yeah. was really a, a, an impressive opening salvo of minutes yeah i mean even just the image of the the child coming out of the hospital and like ignoring her parents in order to like hug the car is like such a fucking like it's so weird that your brain is just like, I have no idea what to expect from this movie, but I'm in kind of thing. You know, it's just like, I, I just love all those little touches. I mean, it, it is the announcement of a Titan, you know, not to use this word Titan <laughs> of a filmmaker. Like I, yeah. I immediately need to go watch uh, her other film. So, so we're talking about Julia Ducourneau, um, this movie, Titan, won uh, the Palme d'Or at, at uh, the Cannes Film Festival last year, or two years ago, rather, which is the top prize. So that's the the movie that the the jury determines is the best film of the, the show. You know, it's always a hotly debated topic, like what is the actual, like, you know, what should win. Cannes Film Festival is really fascinating for anyone who has any interest. It's worth kind of digging into like the the various uh, machinations of like how everything works there, and like you know the the standing ovations versus the boos, and like like everything that happens. Like the the <laughs> French, booing? the French. Oh know. my god! Yeah, if 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 the booing, audience doesn't funny. like it, they straight up boo the movie, like that's with crazy. the filmmaker and actors <laughs> in attendance. 
Um, it's, it's really crazy. You know, it's so funny. I think it is absurd. I just have to say this now. The idea of booing something that's a finished project and cannot change is so silly to me. I understand booing an athlete or a musician. Well, because it's like you have this can change. Well, the you movie say that, but the, the thing movie. is, you say that, but the thing is, the Cannes Film Festival happens um, so early in the year. It happens in June every year. So it's almost um, like a test screening. Yeah, so it's like it, it, the people do make edits based on reactions from that that festival. Oh, so maybe I um, spoke a little too soon. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. not it's not a finished product necessarily. Um, but anyway, yeah, they like there's like you know uh, there's like a scale of standing ovation at that festival too, where it's like if something is like pretty good, it'll get a standing ovation for like thirty seconds to a minute. If something is like outstanding it'll get like a 15 minute standing ovation and like and and you can kind of judge the response to things based on how long that is it's it, there's all kinds of weird shit like that french french audiences are something fucking else dude um but anyway you know the fact that she, julia ducorno is winning the palme d'or on on her second feature is really incredible um her first feature is a movie called raw uh which is a uh, another very strange uh film involving cannibalism actually uh so if anybody is interested in in kind of like a modern uh like apparently it's like kind of like a modern horror movie based around like sisterhood and kind of like like you know love between you know two women like you know in a platonic way i guess but i I don't know i don't know much about it all i know is that people say it's fucking amazing so i really want to check that out most people tend to say that that is the superior film between the two um but there are like this one i think is just more it's more divisive like the reactions tend to to range from i fucking hated it to i loved it and not much in between Whereas raw is more uh, across the board, pretty admired. pretty effusively, not admired, as pol- yeah. not as polarizing as I got gotcha, you. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so anyway, I, I'm very excited to check that out now. But j- me you too. Know, you know, you watch like that opening scene, going back to that, and and you're just like, this is the arrival of a fucking filmmaker. <laughs> yeah, we got a beast, beast over here. Yeah, and she's and also she's not. She's not that young, but she's not that old. She's like five years older than you and I. Right. So she's like got some years of life under her belt and some like wisdom, but she's all she's like younger than I would have expected in some sort of way. I don't know. I'm surprised. Well, I mean, the the movie is just so fully formed. I think a really good indicator of when you're watching uh, a filmmaker with a true point of view and a true mastery of their craft is when you watch something that is this off the wall and absurd and just all over the place, but nothing feels out of place. It all feels very considered and controlled. And I think a lesser filmmaker, like, you know, in the pre-show we were talking about David O. Russell. Like, (laughs) you put David O. Russell behind the camera on this movie, and it is going to feel like a fucking just complete mess of different ideas that is not in control at all of what it's trying to do. Um, because, you know, he is, while at times, you know, someone who can be a very talented filmmaker, um, more often than not is just, just looks like he's throwing shit at a wall and like, and, and there's no control to it. It's just like, well, we'll fuck it. We're going to do this because I'm a genius and it's going to work. You know, whereas like Julia Ducourneau feels like someone who is like 
fuck it, we're going to do this, but I know exactly what I want to do with it. And, and I know what you want to take away from it. Well, it's interesting that you say that because the Blu-ray I had just had one special feature on it. And it was kind of a New York Film Festival at the Lincoln Center post-screening Q&A. One of those deals. And your instincts are completely correct about their approach to making this movie. She was very specific. And the actors went on to say how there was no, like, there was no wing in it. They were not goofing off. They were not um, figuring it out on the day. They had a very specific sort of, I mean, I guess you always figure it out on the day. But they they had a plan in place. And it was, I think, a very... She strikes me as the one who comes in with the shot list on the day and knows exactly exactly what camera placements she wants before she ever gets to set. It sounds like there was little to possibly no improvising. I think it was very written, performed, like this is what we're going to do. Boom, boom, boom. So I think your instincts about it are right. And her confidence is, is seeping through from behind the camera. Like we're knowing that we feel just kind of subliminally. That's like, Oh, this is going exactly the way she wants it to. It's the confidence behind it. It's the confidence to say, I'm going to have a scene of a woman fucking a muscle car and it's not going to feel out of place. And you're coming with me. Like, you know (laughs) what I mean? Like we're going to, we're going to have someone fuck a car and you're going to go, that's weird. And then you're going to lean forward in your chair a little bit and watch closer. Like, you that's know what's a really a funny weird thing? thing. Thinking about the way that that scene kind of affects your, your watching of the movie. It was so funny to me when I was getting to, you know, the scene where she fucks the muscle car is very early in the movie. I didn't anticipate mm-hmm. that because I, I knew that did she you? fucks a car in the movie. Like, going oh, in. you did. Okay. I, had, I did not know. Yeah, I had had that spoiled for me. Um, did not ruin my enjoyment of the film whatsoever because no, I, you like know, you said, it's very early on. It's but yeah, no, but I w- I was shocked. I assumed that the movie would build to that point, and instead, it's just like, oh no, right out of the gate, she's just doing this, and it's like, holy fuck. But then, what's really interesting about that is, you know, you get deeper into the movie, and you know, there, we've got these like scenes of her, you know, th- this like uh, this weird family drama between this, you know, this. A uh, parent who lost a child and you know is clinging on to this person who says that they're the child, but they're you know they maybe are not. Um, and you know, at least from his perspective, we know that that she's not. Obviously, um, I think he he knows too. But I think I think just, he does too, sublim like subconsciously. Yeah, but he's yeah. so grief stricken that he's just kind of choosing to roll with this. Yeah, like, he's, he's he, like he's I desperate need this. for anything. He's latching I need on. It. Yeah, yeah. But totally. but even still, like my point of saying that is like we're watching this this like two hander between these these two characters who are just like desperate in in two different very different situations, um, and and just need connection. And we're watching this, and I'm like, this is like really interesting, just in a in a relational standpoint. And then every five minutes or so, my brain would just be like, wait, she fucked a car earlier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm just like. Wait, holy shit. Like, these are occupying the same space? Yeah, yeah. We have this complete heightened sense of reality. We kind of... I wouldn't say we get numbed to it. At this point, she's murdered multiple people with a goddamn chopstick made out of metal. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) Dude, that's one thing where, like... um, 
I was having a hard time with the character a little bit. Is some of these acts of violence, which I'm sure we'll get into, they made no sense. It's like, what is she doing that for? Uh, like the the very first one we I'm see. I'm sorry, you're talking oh, I'm about sorry, things making off. sense when the one of the first scenes of, see, is her like straddling is, a goddamn gear shifter. It's totally going in line with what you're saying. This movie kind of tricks you into playing along with its absurdity to the point where you're just like, oh yeah. That's right. She is. There is oil kind of spilling out of her womb. It's like, oh, yeah, she's lactating oil. That's right. She fucked that car earlier. Like, I don't know. It's so it's so weird. And it's so fun that it's using such an absurd premise in terms of a woman fucking a car, getting impregnated by a car and then going on the lamb and hiding out as this missing older child. And like it's so it's so weird, but it's using this absurdity to get to it. Uh, to try to get to a deeper truth about relationships, love, grief, loss, parenting, all sorts of crazy shit. Uh, but I don't know, for some reason, maybe part of it is I've, I've started to embrace strange movies a bit more as I've gotten older. And like, you know, things don't have to make sense necessarily. They just have to feel right. You is know? there a and movie like, that you can think about that you like watched at an early age and you rejected because of that weirdness? Um, that's a really good question. Yeah. Inherent vice. First time I saw inherent vice, I was very excited about it. New PTA movie. And I went into it with this expectation of like, okay, you know, the, 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 the moment you fail with that film, in my opinion, as an audience member is to try to on first watch, like figure it out and try to follow what's happening. It's intentionally confusing. Uh, and so I got just super frustrated with that movie the first time I saw it. And I, I left the movie theater thinking like, I hate to say I hated it, but I think I did. And I love this filmmaker so much. It's heartbreaking to even think that I didn't like it. You know, that's how much I was so cultish in my devotion to PTA. And of course I have since really come around to that movie because I've come to, Enjoy the fact that you're supposed to just kind of roll with it. It's a bit like a, like, you know, getting too baked or something. It's like the best thing to do is just like, you know, pop the clutch and put it in neutral and just kind of roll with what's happening. Mm -hmm. So that is one example. I guess somewhat ironically, the master would be another one. Um, But lately, I just, in the pre-chat, you and I talked about Bo is Afraid. I really enjoyed that. And that's a very bizarre and strange movie. For the most part, I really enjoyed this um, Putney Swope is a weird one we talked in the first batch of 50 that we both, I would say, loved. Um, and so I guess I'm just warming to the idea of like not being so tethered to reality, but mm-hmm. it needs to be tethered to some idea of truth. And I think this movie is. I, I would agree with that, yeah. Um, it's it's not going to be for everyone. I think like that. No. I can say that with certainty. But I think... You know, if nothing else, the movie is so bonkers with what it's trying to do that it deserves a watch from anyone who is willing to put up with the body horror stuff. <laughs> I'll offer that con- that contingency. <laughs> you can deal with the strangeness, or even if we don't know if someone's going to be down with like a, a very strange, pretty much a horror film kind of like this, if they will at least admire and respect great camera work and great cinematography and great editing choices, great shot selections, all those things, then I would recommend this to them too in that scenario. Cause it's like, this is 
it's early yet in the next batch of 50, but this is probably the one of the best looking movies we've ever covered on this show, let alone this 50. It is stunningly beautiful. I mean, think about that scene. We're kind of ramping our way to the first murder that we see happen in the film. When she's getting kind of chased to her car by that guy and the, sh- the way shadows are passing yeah. over buildings and just like – that's another thing the movie does so well is it puts you in the shoes of a gorgeous woman being a gorgeous person in like modern day Being living. objectified. Being objectified. Be- the constant heckling and threat that you're at risk of getting if not actively getting. And, you uh, you really immediately kinda... understand why she has that damn chopstick in her hair as like a – you know a, a, and I mean – you obviously find out that she's a serial killer. So yeah, like it's, it's, she gets a know. little she gets a little knife happy with that she, chopstick. She's very yeah, she's very eager to kill. But at the same time, like you understand from just a, a, a the standpoint of like this this beautiful woman who is being hounded by men constantly. Like you understand why she is you know has her defenses up that way. Yeah, and when she when she stabs that first guy, I really enjoyed seeing her calculate before that. Where, like, the guy says he loves her, and you can just kind of sense the here we go again sort of feeling. Well, yeah, because I mean, she like lets him in a little bit because, like, he's like, no, 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 I'm just a fan. I just want an autograph. And she's like, okay, fine. And then, then he's like slowly kind of like builds and builds to it. And it's like, no, you're. You're not a nice guy. You're a piece of shit, just like all the other ones. Yeah, he's, he like, he asks for a goodbye kiss. She obliges him. Gives him a goodbye kiss, and then he professes his love and goes in for a completely uninvited kiss on the lips. And that's when she's like, this guy's going to be a fucking problem, and I have to kind of, like, stop this now. I have to cut this off at the pass, as they say. And uh, so that fir- then that's the first killing we see in the movie, and it's, like, shocking. Because, again, going into this flick, I didn't know. I knew it was had kind of horror components, but I really did not know much about this movie. So that first killing is, is so that surprising. What would happen to a body if you got stabbed through the ear that you would just like start spitting foam out foam? Like, <laughs> I don't know I, I, if, I mean, I got to believe like she, so I think, um, I, you know, again, I just watched this movie and I did not do any research after watching it really. So this is all just, you know, off the cuff takes, um, I could be wrong on this, but I want to say that Julie Ducourneau has a background as a doctor, actually, and like eventually like pivoted into filmmaking uh, from the medical world. So I got I, I want to believe that like you know the the violence in this movie is probably pretty accurate to like what it would be. Well, the girl that she stabs in the ear, she foams out as well. It's right. not as it's not as aggressively shown. No, in but the you film, definitely see it. You see some foam going on there. But yeah, that. But so I mean, who knows if it's biologically, you know, anat- anatomically correct for that foam? But it's a great horror movie addition if it's not the real deal. Yeah. Because um, it's yeah, effective. The image of the, of effective. that guy just like spitting up like a baby over her shoulder is really like, I mean, it sat with me, especially when they start to introduce the the themes of parenthood and stuff like. You know, she's like killing this thing that is like spitting up on her. Like it's it's just very yeah. evocative. Now, obviously, we come to find out, and you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, that she is a serial killer, and she's she's kind of doing these things. Like I, the the killing the dude made a little bit of sense. I really that had felt a like hard self time. defense to some extent. Yeah, it's like okay, it's I over mean, the top, but at least a, it's at least it's motivated. Top, but like I could I could see a world where that's 
uh, but I don't. I wouldn't say justified, but you know what I mean. It makes a little. No, no, bit no. Of sense. Like I said, like it, yeah. you understand that there is motivation there. Like, yeah, it's not. It's not like completely unmotivated. The one with the girl is a really harder. Is a harder pill for me to swallow because mm-hmm. that girl is just being sweet. She's being supportive, and obviously the main character is going through this very bizarre situation where she's realizing what's going on with her body, mm-hmm. or or starting to freak out about it at the very least. So you could maybe say she's trying to hide that truth from this girl, but that one was just like seemed so like out of line puts it mildly. But that one was just like, what did she do? Like, she's just this sweet girl who's being nice to you. Well, I'm glad you brought that scene up. I mean, it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I think like the movie proves in that scene that it's not without a sense of humor, which I really enjoy. I think the scene of her fucking the car is obviously absurd, um, but it doesn't strike me as overtly comedic as some of the elements of this scene where it's like this escalation of like, I, I may have missed something, but does she know that there are other people in the house with her at the time when she kills that girl? I don't think so. Cause I think I that, don't think cause so. that was what was funny to me was her just like continually like, you know, another person being added to the situation and her just being like, God, I got to kill another one of you. Yeah, dude. To your point, the, the thing that proves that the intention here is bleak, jet black humor is the line of dialogue where the guy asks her, like, is anybody else coming? And she says, I hope not. Like, that's a really that's a funny line. And I think it's showing it's like this is supposed to be very absurd and, and darkly comedic. This like little, like little mini spree in this like somewhat orgiistic house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I really just, I love that scene and the way it builds. And then, you know, the, the naked guy that she kills at the end of it is just like, you know, he's just so unassuming. Just like, like you said, like that scene is just like exasperated. Just, you know, I really hope there's not any more of you. <laughs> yeah. And then there's that girl. She starts fighting on the steps, the the naked girl, mm-hmm. or at least the topless girl who actually gets out of there, which is great. Mm-hmm. It's great to see her get away. Uh, but yeah, that uh, that whole thing is just insane. Yeah. Crazy, and again, the movie has laid its tr- laid this kind of crazy track so quickly and so effectively that it just immediately. And again, I think it helped knowing into it that I expected it to be weird i do think that goes a long way with these weirder movies if you go into it like hey this is going to be strange it helps me kind of roll with things a bit more Mm -hmm. but this movie broke my brain so quickly with that whole like car fucking thing that i was just like okay and then i was just was like kind of beaten down and and i mean that in a positive way i'd just be like whatever you want movie I'm on for the I'm along for the ride. We'll see where this goes because you started with something so crazy. Yeah, it's pretty have, genius like, that she choices. throws that up front that way. Yeah, because it's just like okay, so this is not a movie to be taken literally, and let's see where it goes. And it does go into some very uh, fascinating spaces, and it's got a really interesting sort of vibe to it. We've kind of been dancing all around it, but it's it's horrific. It's heartfelt. It's tender in moments. It's bizarre. It's funny. It's heartbreaking. It's really, it's a lot. There's a lot of textures in this movie in terms of emotional, different different kind of things it's tapping into. 
I think that's a good way to lead into talking about the actors because I think the actors are need to be given all the credit in the world for being able to, to deliver this uh, material in a way that's palatable and that you're just you're along for the ride, right? Um, we'll start with uh, Agat Roussel. I I believe this was her screen debut. Wow. Uh, I, wow. I don't think that, yeah, I'm looking at her IMDb. She has five credits on her IMDb and all four of her other credits outside of this are short films. Hmm. Yeah. So, she's uh, yeah. crazy. Feature crazy, film crazy. debut. And Dude, that is such a, like, imagine being a borderline first time actor and you get a role like this. This asks so much of you. You have to be menacing terrifying like all these different things but then also like you have to be comfortable being naked you have to be able to dance like this is a crazy difficult performance it's it's astounding that this is a first-time uh actor i mean yeah she just like is a powerhouse like she's able to handle both the absurd and the tender uh throughout this movie and and do it with just just mastery i mean like yeah i was i was blown away by her performance um and like you said like like to be able to do just like the dancing alone is like so expressive and and just like like i i don't know it's electrifying well you have like two you have two primary dance sequences that I can think of in the movie there's the opening car one and they couldn't be more different either exactly like the car one is like hyper, like pornographic almost. It's a lot of like kind of. It's like, like a Hardee's commercial circa 2008. I don't know that reference, but I gotta go. <laughs> I gotta go on a little YouTube binge earlier. <laughs> but like, there's literally like twerking and humping and like thrusting. It's like very uh, kind of sexual in like a modern day context. And then the other one, which is way towards the end of the film, when she's dancing on top of the fire truck, is so sensual. And like womanly and like, and that is obviously a very sexual dance too, but just in terms of choreographing it and executing it as just a dance scene, they're incredibly different and she kills both of them. And let's not forget how much of her performance is resting on the shoulders of her face, so to say, because she doesn't speak much in this movie. So everything has to be especially when she's kind of undercover, so to speak, and pretending to be Adrian, the son of Vincent, like she's practically a, a mute for those for that portion of the story, which is more or less half of the film. So everything has to be delivered through her eyes mm-hmm. and and all of that sort of stuff. And we you know we talk about that from time to time here in the show, but this is in terms of someone informing you of how they're feeling or what's going on in their head through the energy of their eyes. She's absolutely killing it in this. We talk about it a lot with like first time filmmakers. It's like, oh, what's your favorite first time filmmaker film and all this stuff? Like, I don't think I think enough about the first time I saw an actor and was just like, who, who is this? Like, what, 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 what? And this is definitely one of those where I'm just like, never seen this person before, didn't know they existed. And uh, the amount of confidence that is needed for this role is insane to me. Again, we're talking about someone who did not have. A, at least seemingly to us, a lot of experience being on a professional set. I'm sure she got some things here and there, but not a lot. So not only does she have that learning curve to go through, but there's also 
the other things we talked about, like the nudity and the physicality of the role and the lack of being able to express with words like this. It's so difficult and she really kills it. Yeah, she does. Agat Roussel, please put her in more movies. I need to see more of her for sure. Um, Vincent Lindon plays the other primary character of this film. I would say he's like the, the main supporting character. But yeah, I mean, as like this paternal figure who's clearly, you know, tormented by the, the uh, just having his child ripped from his life, you know, way too early, I, I, I found his performance really just hauntingly beautiful. Yeah, it really stuck with me more on second watch today. And again, the first time, too many Cape Cods, and I was annoyed at the movie that it was taking me away from the pregnancy storyline, which is, I thought was the more interesting one. Second watch today, I was like really paying attention to what Vincent was doing, and it's really it's heartbreaking, and it's so sad to see this person just who is so grief-stricken and is in such despair that they will cling to any delusion to have some sort of like a palliative or an escape from the pain, even just for a little while. Yeah. I mean, and and he's also hammering home just the feeling of like, you, you want this for him too. You want him to be able to lean into this and have that connection because it's, it's like, clearly he's not doing well without it. And it kind of like begs the question of like, is it, is that, a healthy thing, you know, or yeah. not. But I, I think for him, it seems to be like all that he can do to, to try and like, just get through life. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't on board early, uh, with the performance. I, I was like, what, what are we trying to do with this character? But once it like gets to the, the re- resolution of that story, I think it's just so like, the the movie is is showing so much empathy towards that character that I I have to like like you just immediately buy into it. Yeah, I mean the scene that really sealed it for me, where I was like, oh, okay, nope, this is an amazing performance, is the scene when Adrian's biological mother comes to the house, and they have that dinner. She is recognizing what's happening. She likes throws out this idea that they could go on a trip together or something like that. And the look he gives her to me just shouts like, please don't ruin this for me. Like, like, like he, he, it's a very complicated emotion to get across. And to me, it's right all there, all over his face. It's like, I know what's going on. I have chosen to believe this. Don't upset the apple cart. I need this. And it's all right there in his face. And it's like, this guy is fucking great. And that's when I was like, really getting into it that performance it was just i mean this guy's fucking awesome he does it again with the uh firemen that that kind of can or i I, are they firemen or paramedics i think it's like a little bit of both i think they're firemen but you know like how a fireman will be called to at least in the states and i would imagine it looks to be the same case over there based on this movie you know it's not uncommon for fire firemen and firewomen to respond to uh, a, a medical emergency, yeah. whether someone's their first responders, cardiac arrest. Yeah, yeah. their first responders, but I think primarily uh, their fire, their firemen. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, I think y- you see it when he confronts the fire uh, fireman who is like presenting, you know, his evidence as to like that why this is probably not his son. Like he he you know he 
that the look on his face and just the the anger at this this person for for trying to ruin this for him. Uh, yeah. We is, don't talk about my son. Yeah. We don't talk about it. Yeah. And then he kills that guy pretty much. Well, <laughs> yeah. Place. I mean, that was going to be my next question. Is that intentional or is that that uh, unintentional? I think the movie intentionally leaves it cracked, the door, a little ajar, so that you could kind of go either way with it. To me, he seems like someone of experience, and I think he knew what was going to happen when he handed that canister to the kid in the woods. But that's not set in stone. I wouldn't think someone was crazy if they felt otherwise, and maybe it is a tragic accident, but it seemed a little convenient. Well, it definitely doesn't feel premeditated. It, f- it feels like an, a decision in the moment, if, if yeah. it is a decision at all. Yes, I would um, agree with that. If he killed him, it was not thought out before going into the woods, I don't think. But I, I like the reading of it being at least partially intentional in that it connects him to the uh, 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 Alexia character, uh, in terms of you know being someone who's broken by tragedy and by a loss of a um, the like the broken child and the broken father kind of contrast and like or, or connection rather you know between those two mm-hmm. it it's him making a choice to kill in the same way that she is making choices to kill to avoid their pain you know mm-hmm. um, yeah. and so like I think that reading is a lot more thematically interesting to me, but I think you can read it both ways. The first time I saw it, I I actually had to rewind that scene one time just because I was like, wait, did I miss something? Because like it, 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 it's interesting to me in that scene, how much uh, Ducorno does not show you, you know, like, like she really is withholding in terms of like, you don't see the explosion. You see the reflection of an explosion in a mirror, in, in uh, a windshield. You don't see the cause of the explosion. You don't see like like there there's very few context clues that she gives you in that scene to like orient you with what you know what is happening. Um, she doesn't even show you the body. She you just hear the groaning off screen. And she has shown us no or very little hesitation to show violence in the film. So kind of adding to what you're saying, like this is all intentional oh, what is not being seen and what is what remains a mystery or questions that are still kind of clinging to the air or lingering around mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah um but anyway going back to the performance itself i mean it is just it, it's it's a it's a performance with a lot of eye work i would say like his eyes his, are doing yeah, Vincent, so yeah. much work um to, yeah. to communicate you know what what he's feeling and thinking and doing um yeah, just a really great performance. So shout out to him. Any other performances you wanted to highlight? I think you had a, a best supporting supporting. Yeah, there is one more I wanted to give a shout out. I might have tipped my hand a tiny bit. Pronunciation alert. I believe it is Miriam Akadu. Akadu? Who knows? Seems very French. She is the woman who plays Adrian's biological mother who shows up. And realizes what's going on. And Credited has as Adrian's mother in IMDb. Okay, cool, yeah. She is amazing. She's in this movie for like five minutes or so. And good God, another one of those is like, who is this? Mm-hmm. Where has this person been all my life? Like, unbelievable. And just like so, so damn good. I was just shocked. And again, she's barely in the movie. So I just wanted to give her a shout out. Because she is very much Vincent's equal in terms of 
emotion at that dinner scene and what she's saying through her eyes of like, are you nuts? But like, you know, but, but in that decision and her coming around to recognizing and maybe coming around might not even be the right phrase because maybe she knows she knew all along that he needs this, but her having that confrontation with, with quote unquote, Adrian, Alexia, I guess I should say. And, kind of realizing that her ex-husband needs this. And I don't know. She just she just stunned me from from beginning to end of her few minutes on screen. And I was like, I think she's probably going to be on my list for best supporting supporting whenever we get there. So um, I'm looking forward to kind of seeing how much this performance sticks. You know, if in about a year from now, will I remember it vividly? But... Just coming a week or two off of seeing this movie for the first time, like she really shook me up, and I was super impressed with how strong she was, and for being not a lot of screen time. Yeah, no, it's a really, really great performance, and um, that scene is one of the better ones of the film. Um, it's, it, yeah, you know, I mean, that that's really the scene that crystallizes all the themes of what's going on with this. So, um, you want to move into top roots? Yes. Yes, I do. Sure. Let's do it. All right. For those who are just joining us for the first time, Top Roots is a segment that's recurring for us where we talk about the most brutal deaths and, and uh, unfortunate uh, situations <laughs> ever put into these films. So why don't we go through some some Top Roots? I, like, you know, again, I was incredibly unprepared for this episode intentionally, but still incredibly so. So I don't have a list going, but I've got a couple in mind. Um, do you want me to throw a couple out or do you want to kind of go through your list? Well, I've got a list, um, but I'd like to hear, how about you go first and go with like, for you, what is a lower tier, but is very much in your head, if that makes sense. Lower tier. I mean, literally the first scene in the movie, the kid hitting their, uh, head into the, the, uh, window, I think is just like, I mean, anytime there's violence against kids, it's going to be, be, you know, close to the the list. But I, I think that the way that she shoots it is is uh is really interesting and just the way that the car kind of skids and then you just see the you know the impact and the spider spider webbing of the the window uh, i love the way it's shot but but you know just in terms of like a i mean it's it's a head injury that sets up the rest of the movie i Dude, <laughs> so it's, it's got to it's got to make the list it's a brute of a head injury for sure and i did not have that one on my list so i'm really glad you mentioned it so there's that um, obviously the first kill she has with, I'm going to call it the chopstick. Yep. Um, the original chopstick stabbing the guy through the ear and then him, you know, spitting up like a baby over yeah. her shoulder. Excuse me. Excuse me. It's lover boy ear stab with full action mouth foamage. Oh, okay. All right. We got that nailed down then, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, it's so brute and it's, and again, pretty unexpected at this point in the movie through the ear. It's just, yeah, yeah just intense. Um, this is not a traditional top root candidate, but I'm going to throw uh, her dancer friend's nipple into the the mix here. Yeah, totally. That Absolutely. Is, that was one that just made me cringe like a paper cut when she's like pulling on her nipple ring, like the, mm-hmm. the pe- nipple piercing and like ugh, just the the, ugh, the sound design of it. And just, yeah, that, that really, really got me. Yeah. And also, well, we cut this if we want. A little bit, a little more inside baseball. I'm not a fan of nipple play, so whenever I see it go awry in a film, 
Like it really, it really makes me squirm. So that's definitely one. Giving or receiving? Oh, giving is fine. I, I could nipple play give all day, but not receiving. Don't, don't care for that. <laughs> um, and, if but, we were but a popular is... enough podcast to sell T-shirts, I would want a nipple play all day T-shirt. Well, we, maybe we open up a swag store. Bumper sticker. I can see that being a bumper sticker. Uh, but, uh, um, anyway, that. so I think that's a great nominee just because it definitely, like, as we're actually running through this list, I just want to do a quick shout out to just how squirmy this move, movie is. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we've been talking about a lot of the themes and the depth in this movie, and we'll probably continue to talk about it, but... So many times I was just like, oh, just clenching and just like being put in such a physically awkward space by seeing some of this stuff. And both nipple injuries did that to me. The first one in the shower where her hair gets stuck. In oh, the, yeah, in the, yeah, yeah, in yeah. The nipple. That one was was really fucking tough, too. And kind of something you know, that I never I was watching that scene where her hair gets, you know, wrapped around the, the piercing. And um, I was I was thinking to myself, like. I've never seen something like that on screen before. And that's a very modern problem. Like you're never going to see a movie from 1960 where someone's hair gets stuck in a, a someone's nipple ring. Yeah. Um, but like, <laughs> it's very modern, but like, it is like, I think it's so, it's interesting. Like it's something that I, I just would never think I would ever see in a movie. But as soon as I was watching it, I was like, oh, okay, it makes sense in this, the context of the story. I don't know. It's, it, it just struck me so, so strangely. Speaking of... <laughs> Speaking of squirmy, one of my candidates is her intentional self-abortion that she does with the chopstick. Oh. And she like bunches up the toilet paper and puts it in her mouth. It's just like, oh, God. Like, and as a man, I have no idea. But just even just seeing that, it's just like, God damn. It's if you're like shoving an biting. implement that is sharp up your, your, you know, any orifice in your body, that's really fucked up. Ugh, it's like, yeah, it's it's just awful. It's terrible, it really is, that, and uh, yeah, because like at that point, you've se- <laughs> sorry, not not to jump ahead, but there's there's a, a when Vincent like is, I don't remember is he if he's like washing her clothes or something. It's like right after she and him uh, like get together, he finds the the you know chopstick. Mm-hmm. And he like puts it in his mouth to like hold on yeah. to it while he's doing yeah. stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, that thing has been a lot of fucking places, dude. Yeah. And only what we've seen in the film. Lord knows where that chopstick has been before the movie starts. Well, we like, know we, that there's at least four other victims. So who knows where killings. it went. And, you know. it's, it's, been, it's been rummaging around a womb. Like this is just so gross. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, that, that even just mouth, caught dude. me on a visceral level. Like, oh, oh no. Yeah. Again, uh, very squirmy. Very squirmy, but uh, but yeah, no. The self-abortion attempt is is really fucked up. Mm-hmm. I have another nominee I wanted to throw out there. I will say our my number one has not been mentioned yet. I like I, that we're, we've been going kind of chronologically here. This is good. Yeah, a little bit of an. Oh, I guess I did type them somewhat in order. I think this one might be not maybe not underrated. I don't know. We'll see. The nose break. The nose break to me is a top brute because there's the punching in the face. And then when she realizes that the sink is going to be, she's going to need an item to do this. And she like lines up the, the headshot for the nose shot, you know, mm-hmm. just like, again, the movie does such a good job of just making me go, Oh, 
no, no, no. Oh, you know, and it's like, and there's something about self-inflicted pain like that, that is particularly, uh, visceral and, and upsetting. I, uh, I was talking yesterday to uh, one of my friends and uh, we were talking about hereditary because I just I watched hereditary seen, recently. So I've not seen so speak. Something. Oh shit. Okay. Well, I'm not going to, I won't spoil who it is or like the context of anything like there, but actually, no, I'll leave it even more vague. There are multiple scenes involving uh, someone smacking their head into something in that movie. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I've seen one of those in a trailer. Okay, so you at least have context on one. I when won't say what like, the other one is. He, when he's in like school, the other one like is the one that is way more upsetting. So I won't. I won't say what what is happening there. But the image of that is it's something that your brain can immediately sympathize with. It's like I I know exactly what that feels like, just because I know how my body feels when I like run my head into something. You know, so like it, it's something that it's not like being stabbed where you're like, I've never been stabbed. I don't know what the fuck it feels like to have a knife in my belly. But like that, I immediately know a paper cut. I immediately know. So like when you see her do that, it is just so like, no, don't, don't, please don't. Because I know what that's going to. Ah, fuck, I felt it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that kind of reaction. So, yeah, I'm, yeah, with, just I'm the, with you. When you get the bees are struck. And you get the watery eyes and the mm-hmm. fucking, it's so sensitive. Like, Dude, I, I got I, a concussion I, in high school playing <laughs> basketball because uh, we were playing on a half gym, uh, you know, where the bleachers were pushed up against the wall. Mm-hmm. And I went in for a layup. Um, and just the, the size of this gym was such that the, when you're playing on a half, the, you know, the half gym um, where they split it down the middle, um, the basket uh, was so close to the bleachers against the wall and I misjudged how close it was. And when I went in for the layup, I like turned my head over my shoulder to see if the ball went in. And then right when I turned my head back down, the bleacher was right there and smacked my my fucking head into the, the bleacher. So like, I know that pain and my nose was part of it. Like, and, and I had that seeing stars, like eyes watering mm-hmm. reaction too. Oh. Um, that was a really scary experience. I like literally went blind 30 seconds later for, for like a solid minute. Yeah. That's terrifying. It was not good. I was like, yeah. I, I had to stop playing in the middle of a game and I was like, coach, I literally can't see mm. <laughs> head injuries are scary. <laughs> Jeez. I hope that comes back. Glad it did. Because uh, we we probably wouldn't have a movie podcast if you couldn't see. Mm, I, I, that would be hard to do. I think it's time. I, I, I have my final answer for the top brute. And well, we have, jumped ahead. I, I want to yeah. say one more from a scene a little bit earlier than, than the breaking the nose scene. It's in the, the uh, house murder scene where she she's going to kill her friend, uh, the nipple-piercing friend. And she misses on the first one and the, the chopstick goes through the girl's cheek cheek. and is just standing out and chopstick. Yeah. The cheap chopstick. And then she eventually gets it through the ear, just like the guy. Um, it's, uh, but the, the, the visual of her looking at Alexia with that chopstick sticking out of her face and her recognizing, Oh fuck, my friend is about to kill me. Like it's, it's a horrifying little scene. Dude, I'm squirming again, just as we are, are kicking these brutes around. It's such an uh, 
it's such a movie that gets under the skin. It really does. Yeah. But um, um, sorry, you you were gonna say one that you said was the top top brood. Of this the is movie. my. I let me just ask you this: Has your answer been mentioned yet? Well, I don't know. I want to hear yours okay. first, so that okay. I can I can see if there's one I'm forgetting. So I think we're gonna be on the same page for this one. I think this is, in my opinion maybe clearly the top brute just because i've never seen anything like this in a movie and that is the stoolie the guy who gets the stool yep. <laughs> through the face yep. like maybe it's not the most brutal but like i've just never seen that and it's so unsettling and that whole struggle also let's not forget forget that that guy gets stabbed in the foot first mm-hmm. so he gets a foot stabbing and then he's fighting with this crazy lady and then he gets the stool through the face, like through the jawbone. It's just such a brute. And I think, for my money, it's the top brute. I, I agree with you. I think I think I'm going to go with that as well. But um, what's interesting to note, if you if you haven't watched the movie and you've gotten to this part of the episode, um, what's interesting to note about that is how little they actually show you. It's it's a it's very much implied violence uh, until they return. But yeah, you don't see. Well, like, no, the yeah, stool you get the. Cu- I'm saying yeah, you get the wide shot once she, uh, you know, kind of is is uh, leaving that situation. So you yes. see you see the aftermath, right? Um, right. But you, you like it's not like you're watching this stool go through this guy's face. Correct. Um, yeah. So like it, it, you know, you hear it, and that's enough. You know yeah. what just happened. Like you knew mm-hmm. where the the stool's like leg was in relation to his head, and you knew the force behind what she did. Like so, like you can yeah. your brain fills in the gaps beautifully. But I think I think that's like that's something to be commended about Ducourneau's uh, uh, filmmaking is that she knows when to show and when to not show, and then she she'll fool you. Like she fooled me in that where like like you're saying we don't see it happen when it happens. We hear the struggle. We get pan down shots of what's happening in the mouth area. We see the stool leg is there as the guy's still fighting her off. We we pan back up. We we hear the noise, and we we figure out what happens just from from the clues. And it's almost like the movie is like, eh, nobody needs to see that. Eh, never mind. We're gonna show you. And it's like so they really kind of pull one over on me as just a viewer. I'm like, okay, thank God they're not showing us. Like, oh. They showed it. Oh, look at the aftermath. So it's just a cool kind of like, I would say it's a surprise, but I don't know if it was just like, they were like, hey, we can't execute this on camera, so let's just not show it and show it after. Or if it was like, no, let's make it seem like we're not going to show it, but then let's show it. You know, it could have been either way. I don't know if they did it digitally or practically, but how weird would it be to be on a set like that and have to act around uh, just this gruesome like murder scene with like a prosthetic body with a stool through its face. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, are you good? Are you comfortable over there, Jason on the floor? We, 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 I'm fine. Don't trip on the brain matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've got that stage just right. Leave that alone. Yeah. That would must, must be just bizarre. Yeah. It's, it's, that's the top route that it is. Right. I mean, it's just, it's just so, so zany. Yeah, it is. Um, you can maybe also throw in there just her giving birth. <laughs> that yes. whole scene is real fucked up. And yep. watching her, you know, belly like rip open, like the skin like separating Ugh. and uh yeah, it's it's 
it's visceral. Um, one one small critique. This is a very minor critique, but I really wish that they had done that effect practically. You know, like I could see that. Yeah. I you know watching the the her belly tear like that. Um, like and and it's pretty obvious to me that it's it's a CG effect. It's not being done practically, and um, I just feel like that's one of those effects where I'm like you could have done that with prosthetics that that's something that like uh you know john carpenter would have you know done back in the day and yeah it would look maybe like less real like technically speaking but it would have been more visceral uh with that but anyway small small critique cuz no. it's still fucked up i think it's a justifiable quibble but i will say in defense of the film it looked good it did. As for, it did. for for a form of CGI art, it looked really uh, believable to me. Yeah, it's just one of those scenarios where, like, I, and I, I'm sure that this movie has plenty of other, like, uh, CGI elements that I don't pick up on. But when the, the CGI element is the focal point of the shot, it, it becomes more noticeable to me. So I just kind of wish that it was practical. But anyway, like I said, small small nitpick. But, yeah, that, that would go in there as well. And... Um, uh, I'm I'm thinking that uh, there's an implied brutality to this fucking child's uh, childhood with a fucking metal spine or whatever the hell else is metal in him. Uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on with that baby, but that's going to be brutal to watch as it grows up. Yeah, that's a very, very strange ending to this very strange movie. It's just like she dies in childbirth. I think that's at least heavily implied, if not just oh, yeah, shown. No, it's, yeah, it's, that's, yeah, that's what happened. She's dead. And then uh, he gets another baby, or it's a new child, and then we just see that silver spine. It's a really cool shot. Well, and there's metal right over the baby's ear as well, right where hers was. Yeah, the same as her head wound where she had the titanium. Yeah, it's like, Um, and it's almost like you know, kind of implying like uh, trauma passed down through generations and you know stuff like that. So. Well, something that makes me really excited about this filmmaker in general is she said like the initial kernel for this idea came from a reoccurring nightmare that she struggled with, which is that she was giving birth to machine components and car parts. Weird. And I like that she's just like, um, oh, I guess I'll just make it into a movie. And it's pretty fucking cool, man. Good instinct. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, anything else we want to touch on before we wrap up here with Titan? I wanted to kind of give a shout out to just visual storytelling in general. I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, that's what movies are. But I am becoming more and more of a sucker for when a movie can just tell you without saying anything what's going on. Mm -hmm. And obviously, this movie, we have a character who doesn't talk that much. So a lot of the storytelling is all visual. And thinking about scenes like when she arrives at the subway for the first time and sees that poster of the missing person and how they've been aged up and she gets that and then she sees her own wanted poster and she starts realizing you can see the gears turning she's like oh i could look like that kid the aged up kid and that you know she makes that decision to break her nose and try to do that whole thing like I don't know. It was just like the story was so well told just through shots. And mm-hmm. like you like I always understood like what was happening is like, oh, there, there's that. There's that. It was just like all very well thought out and very well structured. So I just wanted to give that shout out to like 
stories being told without a lot of words and uh thought oh, yeah. it was very very well executed no i mean we've talked about that in the past on the show and and you know that i love when when a story can be told visually like that so yeah it was it worked for me on that level for sure it's a it's a story that's that's not telling you it's showing you yeah it's all just kind of right there on the screen it's fucking great um <clears throat> two last shout outs for me i love when she's dancing on the fire truck and the reaction shots to all the firefighter males who are just like, whoa, what? And it's just they're, they're just great faces and great reaction of just like, this is fucking weird. And it's just is like really cool. I'll throw another minor minor quibble in, which is that scene takes place literally like right after one of their their cohorts dies in a fire like <laughs> it's weird to me that they're having a rave uh like yeah. it's almost like they're celebrating that dude dying maybe um, that's the way the french do it yeah no, it, it just was weird to me like the the structure of that because i was like wait wait wait, whoa, whoa, hold on so they're not going to grieve at all they're just going to say oh that guy's dead fuck it let's rave Everybody dance on a fire truck, but uh, I don't know. You got any Molly? As as the dance got more and more sexual and more and more feminine, like their their faces to it, I just thought was was so funny. Yeah, it's just like again, I thought a really good example of some of that dark comedy that's working in here. Um, And then the last thing um, I want to say, this kind of goes along with my kind of button on my thoughts of the movie, is. Way towards the start of this conversation, you mentioned the runtime and how it's about an hour 40, hour 42 minutes, something like that. And to me, the movie feels like 2.15. I can't tell if that's a critique or not, but it feels longer than it is. And I feel that normally that's a sign that something isn't fully engaging with me. I'm not saying it's a flaw in the movie, but... In terms of how I personally react to it, it's like if a movie is feeling longer than it is, my gut tells me that that I'm reacting to something in a negative way in this movie. Um, I think that's and, fair, and so I think that that's the one fact I can't escape because like yeah. we've been kind of gushing about this movie, and I think it deserves that. But at the end of the day, I can't avoid that thought of like it did feel a little long though. Um, but overall, I would say. I really did dig this. And I think it was a great selection from Kendrick, mm-hmm. a great recommendation from him. And I'm very excited to have him on the show and we can kind of get his thoughts on Titan and we'll see what movie he ends up joining us for in the future. But overall, I think it was absolutely worth seeing. Very bizarre, very weird. And I'm glad we checked it out. Did you have any other kind of like bullet pointy things or, or last second thoughts you wanted to hit before we rolled out of here? No, I mean, given the way that I, I approached this episode, I didn't really take any notes during the movie because, you know, it's a foreign language movie, so I need to be able to read the subtitles to know what's going on. Um, but also I just, you know, anytime I watch something the first time, I try to avoid any amount of uh, uh, looking away from the screen. I want to really just kind of like let it wash over me and, and see what I think. So don't have any real wrap-up notes, I think everything you said there about the runtime is a fair critique. Um, I had a similar reaction to it. Uh, I think the the second act does tend to drag a little bit um, and, and could have used a little bit more energy at that point in the movie to, to carry you through. Um, but I think that that's, that section of the movie is so important to setting up everything the movie is talking about that I, I don't 
I don't regret the time spent with there. I just, I, I wish it was a little more propulsive. But, uh, but oh, no, overall, that's a small critique. I think this is a great movie. I don't know if it's going to make it onto my, you know, my list of the best of the year. Um, but certainly this movie is going to be up for a bunch of categories in, in the Yunas for once we get there. Um, because it's technically a Marvel, beautiful performances, beautiful filmmaking, you know, just in terms of the camera work and the look of the film. And, and you know, she, it's, it's, I think every element of this movie is really, really just well executed. And, and uh, I'm glad that I watched it. Yeah. All right. Well, if that'll do it then for Titan, that means it's time to get something new on the board. And I did a little digging because it's been a while since we we put something on, so we weren't totally sure whose who's week it was. But looking back, I'm pretty sure that you put Alien 3 on last time. I was thinking that too. When you read Alien 3 in the list, I was like, that was the last one we put on, and that was one of mine. So I think it is your week. I believe so. And I've got two that I'm kicking around right now. A few weeks ago when I put on, I, I don't actually, I don't remember which one it was that I put on, but I, I mentioned that I had been considering putting something on that is a favorite of mine that I really want you to watch. So I've got one of those in the chamber, and then I've also got one that came to mind today because it's a French film. And it's you know thematically it's not sharing anything with with this but i do like the idea of putting a french film in its place um it's a, it's a film that is a big inspiration for a filmmaker that we've talked about a couple of times on the show not not we haven't done their movies but uh we have mentioned them uh in in passing and i know it's a, if i tell you the filmmaker you're going to go with that movie but not knowing the filmmaker just objectively speaking, would you rather... I'll also say this. Both of these movies are from the 1960s. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. As always, it is, the, it is your decision for this, for whenever it's that week, you know? You know me, my gut always leans towards something that occurred to you today because I like those sort of organic additions of, like, you thought of this today. Like well... This, I like rolling with that, but... The, I think the most important question is, which one are you more excited about? And that's the one that should go up. I'm excited about both of them for very different reasons. Because the one movie that I've seen a bunch is, um, it's just a, it's a, it's a brilliant fucking film. And it's one that like has so much resonance uh, with today. Um, I'll just, I'll say this about it. It is a movie that involves, uh, you know, politics and, and government you know, kind of intrigue and, and uh, espionage and, and stuff like that. So, well, if not now, when, and the answer could be in two weeks, but like, let's get it, let's get it up there. I kind of like the idea. I mean, again, go with your gut, but I'm starting to come around to this because it's like, well, we don't want to pigeonhole this number to always be the French slot. And like, but I do also like the idea of adding a French thing because we've just talked about a lot of French stuff, but like, I don't know. I feel like if you like if you've been wanting me to see this for a while, if not now, when again? But whatever one is most exciting to you, I'm gonna go with that one. All right. Um, I'm gonna save the other one. I'm not gonna say what the other one is because I do want to get the other one on the board sometime. Um, gotcha. When you say the other one, do you mean the French one? Or do yes, you mean the French? One. Okay. So the French one will remain unsaid. 
and will be reserved for a, a hopefully in the near future. Sliding edition. that one into my back pocket and pulling out instead John Frankenheimer's film Seven Days in May. Hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. I know you've mentioned that title to me before. I don't know shit about that movie. I've heard that filmmaker's name before. I don't think I've seen one of their movies. Um, the only ones you may have seen are his more modern stuff. I mean, he still was making stuff well into the 90s. He, In terms of like his 90s output, have you ever seen the movie Ronin with Robert De Niro? No, I never did, but I always... Jean, remember, Jean I remember, Renault. Yeah. It's another iconic DVD jacket that I can vividly picture De Niro with that pistol. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never actually seen that movie. Yeah. And I love Jean Reno too, speaking of French people. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so he, you know, he did that, but he's really known for his his sixties output. Um, he worked a lot with Burt Lancaster back in the day. I'm saying it like this the town. Burt Lancaster. Um, he uh, made a made a movie called Birdman of Alcatraz with him, which is really well regarded. Um, but the the biggest um film of his is the original Manchurian candidate. That was, that was his kind of political, um, is that Frank Sinatra paranoia thriller? Yes, it is Frank Sinatra, uh, Frank Sinatra. And, uh, um, Oh God, why am I blanking on her name? <sighs> is, is, uh, while you're thinking is Birdman of Alcatraz, is that Clint? No, Clint Eastman? no, it's, uh, okay. it's, um, uh, John Frankenheimer. You're thinking of okay. escape from Alcatraz. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, well, I have not seen any of those movies you listed, but I've, I'm aware of almost all of them. So I think this is a really fucking cool choice. I also don't mind putting this on, even though I've seen it a bunch, because it's been probably a decade since the last time I saw it. So it's kind of in that vein of, does it hold up? Exactly. It's a little bit like, am I going to love this as much as I did then? And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, older movies that aren't so kind of, quote unquote, from their time, they tend to have better chance of success in terms of holding up because they already held up when you were say 20, when you saw this, Mm -hmm. as opposed to something like the infamous green street hooligans. (laughs) And I watch that now. I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? I cannot believe I thought this was good. Um, But anyway, I I like this choice a lot, dude. What, what's the number I forget. So that is going on at 17. Let's do a quick recap to orient ourselves before we throw the dart. Number one, You Can Count on Me. Number two, Akiru. Number three, Reflections of Evil. Number four, Rio Bravo. Number five, Alien 3. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, Election. Number nine, Get Carter. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Coraline. Number 12, Big Night. Number 13, Night Moves. Number 14, The Karate Kid. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Secrets and Lies. Number 17, Seven Days in May. Number 18, Snatch. Number 19, Strange Days. And number 20, The Terminator. Nice, dude. Uh, It's been a while. I'm going right-handed, aiming for the bull. Let's see what we get. The dot has spoken. What's it got for us? Three. All right. We're doing Steven's movie, Reflections of oh Evil. Oh my God, Reflections of Evil. Okay, we have to do some research on this one. This is going to be a doozy. Um, I don't, I don't even know. Okay, so we looked before, and, and 
for everyone listening, this is a movie that we allowed Steven to put on despite the fact that it is basically impossible to find. <laughs> so apologies in advance. I think we're going to have a kind of non-traditional episode next week where we we can kind of be a little bit more freeform with how we approach things because we're going to have to do a lot of contextualizing. This this is going to be one where I feel like, you know, people are going to watch not having seen it. So um, should be an interesting one. And also because uh, I need to, I need to confer with Steven on this uh, because he sent us a copy of the movie that is not the cop- copy that is in mass circulation um, because he says it's a way better cut and it's what the filmmaker intended. Now, whether that is available anywhere, I have no idea. So people may be watching even different versions than we end up watching. But you know what? It's going to be a weird episode, and I'm kind of digging the idea of it. It's going to be very different. It kind of goes against one of the tenets of the show initially. We were like, no, after the Sling Blade episode, we were like, we have to make sure it's a movie that can be seen. But that turned out to be a lot of people's favorite episode just because it's so weird. Um, so I'm glad that we loosened the rules for this. It was a movie that Steven was excited about. So like, I was like, let's, let's fucking do it. If it's possible, I might try to track down and watch both versions, um, just to see the differences. So we could at least, I might be able to bounce back and forth be like, this is in this version. I I don't know how massively different they're going to be, but it's a, it's going to be a good follow up to this movie based on what I've heard about this. I guess he said it was batshit crazy and it's like a horror film or something. So well, you can kind yeah. of say that about Tatan. Steven Steven does dabble in the dark arts a little bit and and this movie is uh is dark art. <laughs> it's uh it, he said it was one of the most unsettling movies he's ever seen. So we're going from dark to dark right now and we'll see how it goes. Wow, Reflections of Evil, we're just pulling it up right now. It's from 2002. The filmmaker's a guy named Damon Packard who I'm not familiar with. So there's going to be a lot of research that needs to be done. The opposite of my approach to this week's episode. Yeah. So this will be, um, well, we'll see what we're getting into. Hopefully we'll be able to track it down. Uh, do you have a uh, streaming check in front of you? Um, that whatever cut that is, there is, there is a version on Tubi that you can watch. Um, so I would recommend that anyone who wants to, to keep along with us uh, and, and watch this one, check it out there. We'll discuss next week whether that's the right version or not, and um, and and hopefully be able to offer some way for people at that point to to look up the correct version. But yeah. we'll get into all that next week. We'll it's going to be a weird one, out. folks. <laughs> yeah, buckle up. It's going to be strange. All right, that's going to do it for our episode this week on Tatan. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Please remember to rate, review, and give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or give us a recommendation, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight. Artwork for the show was created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. Sorry, Mike. Later. Later.